Welcome and thank you for joining us online for this message. We are taking a break from our Inner Workings of Worship series as we celebrate our nation's birth, but you can find those messages available online at ccgf.org sermons. For other views and perspectives, you can check out our blog at ccgf.org blog. And don't forget that you can follow us online at Twitter and Instagram at CCGF01 and on Facebook. Here is Pastor John with his message, A God-Blessed Nation. Thank you for listening. Uh, how'd you like that music? Huh? Of course, that's a tough message. God's going to cut you down. And it didn't let up. You were waiting for it to let up, weren't you? Is he going to do anything other than cut me down? Well, I'll tell you this. That God is absolutely opposed to the proud and gives grace to the weak. That's a constant theme of the Bible. He opposes the proud and the arrogant and he lifts up the meek. And the lowly. It's part of what he had to say to Mary and what Mary said back to him. When she was told she was going to have the baby Jesus, she said, Who am I? And then she said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has regarded thee, listen to these words, the lowest state of his handmaiden. He took a lowly, ordinary woman and gave her the privilege of giving birth to the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. He didn't go for the beautiful lady down at the, uh, the bar or at the showcase or at the university in Jerusalem or where the wealthy and the elite met and greet. He went to a lowly little girl in Nazareth and visited with her. And what we are confronted with today is an arrogance in public life, whether it's because of wealth, which is often a factor, overeducated, which is often a factor, trying to promote ourselves as against someone else, which is often a factor. Kind of a look at me, aren't I great? God is absolutely opposed to the prideful, willful, arrogant self-centeredness. It actually warns in the Bible about saying. It's a warning. Like, don't say... Monday I'm going to do this, Tuesday I'm going to do this, Friday I'm going to do this, Sunday I'm going to do this. But say, if the Lord wills. Somebody came up to me this morning and said, you preaching this morning? And I said, that's the plan. (laughs) But I didn't, you know, some guys don't make it to the pulpit for whatever reason friend of mine, this made national news because it was so spectacular. On an Easter Sunday, 
he was speaking about, he said, about going home to be with Jesus. He said, the Lord's going to come and take me away. This is real. And he dropped dead on the spot. You don't have all your tomorrows. And there's a seriousness about the threat of the Lord cutting us down. Because his great desire is to lift us up. To restore us. To heal us. To put the broken pieces of our lives back together and make us new. But like they say in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, you've got to hit the bottom of the barrel. You've got to hit your low, low point where there is nowhere else to go. I used to sing with a band and they used to do a country and western piece actually mocking Johnny Cash in those days, which would seem very inappropriate today, but those were the days of The Doors and Hendrix and some other guys. We used to play this song in the band, Truly Julie's Blues. The guy who led it was from North Carolina. He was a lead voice. And he would say, when the gutter, the truly Julius Blues, he, sa- he was describing when the gutter looks like up to you, that you're so low. God does want to bring us down so that he can build us up. But while it's all about us, it ain't going to happen. Except he comes to cut us down. Well, let me pray with you for a moment. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. The severe love that will cut us down when we're riding high on our high horses. When we think we've got it made and we did it ourselves and look at me, how good I am, how great I am. Oh Lord, change our hearts. Help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you may exalt us in due season. So take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, of course... July 4th is about cutting down the giants, the English. (laughs) Out of here. I mean, those were controversial days. Because the Church of England was the Episcopal Church here in this country. And all the big old churches up and down the northeast were, and they're still there, these old Church of England churches and the, the pastors had sort of a lot of prestige and they either, if they joined the Americans, had to disavow themselves of any allegiance to the crown in England. And that, that in and of itself was huge. And another thing that happened just ahead of that July 4th, 1776, really it was still going on, But there was a great spiritual awakening in America. 
by the tens of thousands people were gathering, literally tens of thousands, to hear guys like John Wesley and another guy who's not as famous as John Wesley, George Whitfield. Ben Franklin published Whitfield's journals. Ben Franklin was a publisher. He was in awe of what was happening around George Whitfield's preaching. He measured off in Philadelphia that 30,000 people could hear George Whitfield's voice without any PA system or anything. His naked, raw voice could be heard. And crowds like that were gathering. And I was looking up in a... I've got a book about this thick. The pages are actually getting weak so that you turn it and it's easy to tear them. But it's an old edition of a a Columbia encyclopedia like the University of Columbia. And I looked up the Great Awakening and I was thrilled to see it describe accurately how this preaching and the gathering of the people and the spiritual awakening that was taking place, which was transforming community after community, family after family, individual life after individual life. It was spectacular. All that prepared the way for the revolution against the British. And that's generally understood in history. But that's what I want to address as we come to the whole issue of our identity as a nation, the United States of America. For those of you who are visiting and you've just caught me and I happen to be preaching and you think, well, he speaks English like an Englishman. That's because I was born and raised English, but I am an American, chose to become an American disavow myself of any other sovereign allegiance and pledge myself to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. And I love America and I'm proud of America and I'm pleased to be an American and I'm pleased to give my life and resources to the welfare of this nation, given a lifetime. I actually came to Pittsburgh as part of a vision to make Pittsburgh as famous for God as it was for steel. I'm still on it. Steel's gone away, by the way. We won. (laughs) Now we've got to say as famous as the Penguins or the Steelers. So you know where I'm coming from. I'm not one of these jaundiced critics. And that used to be my spirit. But God changed my spirit and made me into a cheerleader and an encourager. And I want to encourage you with the roots of your history here in the United States of America and the prelude just to say that the Great Awakening set the stage for the Great Revolution against the most powerful military nation in the world at that time, Great Britain. That's what I want to do. Before I go any further, I want to tell you why it's leading to. 
for us to be praying for our nation, to be praying for our leaders, seriously, whether local or national, to be in prayer. And in particular, on September the 15th, there is a gathering in Harrisburg at our state capitol, outside the capitol building, There'll be tens of thousands of people there, I would estimate, gathered from all over Pennsylvania to pray for our nation and to pray for our state. Pray about the upcoming elections. Throughout the USA, this has been going on in other states. Washington, out west, Alaska, down in Florida, Ohio, systematically, and I don't know what the system is, because why would you keep Harrisburg and Pennsylvania until September 15th? Well, maybe there's a strategy there, I don't know. But that's when it's going to happen. And I'd like to see at least a couple of hundred people from Christ Church give up that Thursday and go and pray for our nation. So I want you to circle in your calendar September 15th. Because I'll ask you this, do you care about America? Do you love your nation? I mean, I was out of town, actually in Italy, I'll mention that in a moment, for my, to celebrate my 80th birthday. Can you imagine? Let me tell you what that is. It's a third of the length of American history. 240 years ago, The guys met this month on July 4th and signed, 56 of them signed the Declaration of Independence. 240 years ago. My life spans a third of the history of the United States of America. All by myself. 80 years. Because 380 still makes 240, does it not? If you care about these United States of America and the future that your children are going to inherit and their children after them, and you care about us in terms of our identity, I mean, one of the things I hated missing as a Pittsburgher was the Penguins winning the the Stanley Cup. I I followed everything. I hoped they were going to clean out the clock and get that all done in Pittsburgh. Then the weekend I left town, they chose to settle the deal. (laughs) And I couldn't wait to find somebody who would tell me who won. Because I love Pittsburgh. I love the Steelers. I'm glad the Pirates won last night against the Oakland A's. I bleed black and gold. (laughs) Sort of kind of red and white blue here to now, but... Why am I that way? God has given us these kind of allegiances. And an allegiance to our nation, not just that we might be great again and be wealthy and powerful and tell everybody else how to behave, but that the great truths that made this nation great would be embraced again, proclaimed again, so that we might become a great nation not because we've got a great military or a great economic machine, but that we know and love Jesus. 
Listen to this quote from a a French sociologist. His name is Alexis de Tocqueville. It's a very famous quote because he, in 1830, was sent over to the USA to find out, as a judge and a sociologist, man of great reputation, to research what made America great. Ten years later, he wrote a book, so in 1840, called The Democracy of the USA. So he stewed on this for a decade. I don't know how long his research went on, but this is what he says in this book. I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields and boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in the Democratic Congress and in its matchless constitution, but not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I, understood, did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And we're watching America cease to be great, seeing it being dismantled morally, spiritually. Where are the pulpits aflame with the righteousness of God's love? Where are the prominent preachers who are willing to take a stand and lead their people in taking a stand against overt sin in our society? Where are people who are willing to call others to Jesus? I mean, I'm astounded how few pastors want to do that. Do you get me on that? I don't know where you've been or who you are or what your life is, but for me to stand up and give somebody overtly whether they raise their hand, raise their face, come forward or come and talk to me, to preach that they need Jesus, that Jesus died for them, that he can forgive their sins and lift the burden of the guilt and by his spirit come into them and make them a new creation to live a life that's full of joy and significance, they won't do it. So consequently, I have the time of my life meeting people who've come to faith, enjoying the kind of worship we enjoy together here at Christ Church, have the kind of pastors we have here like Pastor Jamie. This is a rarity. So to encourage and cheer us on, because it's amazing to me, how few pastors really want to do it. What got to Tocqueville? Where did he discover America's greatness? It wasn't in its wealth and education and vastness of forestry and mines and ocean fronts and harbors. It was in the pulpits of the churches as he went and visited them. We need to see a rebirth of that. That's a spiritual awakening. We need a spiritual awakening. And just as the spiritual awakening prepared the way for that first July 4th and the Declaration of Independence 
and the subsequent establishment of the United States, so we need a spiritual awakening today. Only God can change the heart. Only God can change a person's direction for good and give them a new life. It's a spiritual deal. Pastor Jamie read to us from Psalm 33. Look at it with me. It's on page two in your little service sheet in your hand. Page 12 said this. Excuse me, start again. Verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's a big deal. And we are a God-blessed nation. It's not the harbors, it's not the forests, it's not the mines, it's not the education. You'd be surprised how much of what we call education today was started by the church, by believers. That's Princeton, Harvard, Yale, and other schools like it. Started by believers. The hospital care by believers. Day school for kids started with the churches having Sunday school for kids. Sunday school in the early days wasn't to teach them about Jesus only, but to teach them to read and to write and do arithmetic. And they started Sunday schools, which were schools for regular learning. And then they enlarged and made them larger schools. And you've still got around this country schools that are associated with the church but very rarely anymore do they really overtly talk about Jesus in those schools. America was made great by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're a God-blessed nation because of that gospel and the power of the Lord at work in us. So let all the earth fear the Lord, says verse 8, and let all the peoples of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God is our creator. He's the author of this brilliant, amazing world in which we live. And God's got plans. One of them is to foil the plans of the nations. Look at verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. Those are the nations that are are absolutely committed to not having him around. And we're becoming, as a nation, dangerously clear close to that, kicking him out of the schools, kicking him out of the courts. I mean, there is danger there. God's going to cut us down unless there is a spiritual awakening. The plans of the Lord stand firm. This is verse 11. He's got plans. God's got plans. He's not making it up as he goes along. Can you believe that? He's not having an existential experience. He's not saying, wow, look at that, Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? They've got plans. So the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Blessed is the nation, verse 12, whose God is the Lord the people he chose for his inheritance. 
I know that history has been rewritten here in the USA. Kids aren't learning what they need to learn in school to have an appreciation because political correctness says you X out all the Christian stuff. And so kids are being taught in school a secular version of the truth. Secular meaning God banished from the text and the real impact of the Christian faith banished from the text that they have to read and learn. So I want to set the the record straight. I don't want God to have to come and cut us down. I want us to repent and come back home. Listen to this. This is a quote from James Madison. It's a university named after him, Madison University. He was actually, probably by most people's estimate, the single most influential person in the writing of the United States Constitution. This is what he said. This is in print. We have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government. We have staked the future of all our political constitutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. Self-governance. So you don't have to have 300,000 little Mickey Mouse rules we're catching up with the Pharisees on how we're supposed to behave, talk, dress, or whatever else. But what what has the nation been doing over the last 25 years or so? Removing the Ten Commandments from courthouses and from public property, taking it out of schools like they've taken prayer out of the schools, Bible study out of the schools, and then change the history that they teach about how America became America and who were the people involved in it. Our kids are being fed a whole whole bunch of trash, secular trash, because it's politically, politically correct to do so. J. John, sorry, wrong way around, John Jay, Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, the very first Chief Justice. That's big time. Listen to what he had to say. Again, this is in print. God's providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. This is going to blow you away. You're going to say, he couldn't have possibly said that. That's not what we're, we're taught to believe. Listen to this. God has given to our people the choice of their rulers and it is the duty as well as the privilege in the interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. How deliberately you have heard it said in the last decade we are not a Christian nation. Because they're trying to tear God and our Judeo-Christian heritage, the Bible teaching of what is right and wrong, and the gospel of grace that is life-transforming and inspiring. They don't want that. They want governmental, educational control. This didn't happen incidentally. Somebody's been planning a long time behind the scenes to get rid of Jesus in our public life. Listen to John Quincy Adams. This, you, you won't believe this. If you want these quotes, you can 
call in or whatever and I'll send them to you. We've all been taught about the uh, separation between church and state. Well, listen to what John Quincy Adams says. The highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government and the principles of Christianity. Can you believe that? Where did that disappear to? What happened? George Washington, in his farewell address, said this. You'll remember they wanted to keep him almost like an eternal president. and He didn't buy into it. But in his farewell address, he said this, of all the habits and dispositions which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. How are you going to get righteousness if you've got no religion? If you equate the Ten Commandments with being religious, how are you going to get it? What's going to happen? You just make it up as you go along and that's what's happening today. Personally, George Washington in his diary wrote this. Now you see where he's coming from. Listen to this in his diary. Let my heart, gracious God, be so affected with your glory and majesty that I may fulfill these weighty duties which you require of me. Again, I have called on you for pardon and forgiveness of sins and for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered on the cross for me. You gave your son to die for me and have given me the assurance of salvation. That's George Washington. Sounds like me. Well done, George. That's the gospel. I've got to give you just one more quote. I've got more than I can possibly deal with here. But Patrick Henry who gave us the give me liberty or give me death speech. At the end of his life, wrote this, I have now disposed of all my property to my family. There is one thing I wish I could give them, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. If they had that, and I had not given them one shilling, they would have been rich. But if they had not that and I had given them all the world, they would be poor indeed. That's Patrick Henry. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's a God-blessed nation. That isn't just because we're doing the right things. God will lift up the meek who will yield to him and he will bring down the mighty. How are the mighty fallen? We've watched it in our own lives already. How are the mighty fallen? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you on this birthday of our country. We thank you for these great men who loved you, honored you, and were unashamed of you. We thank you for the great work of the spiritual awakening of those early and middle 1700s. Oh Lord, pour out your spirit upon us again. 
here at Christ Church, church by church, pastor by pastor. Inspire us, strengthen us, humble us, renew us, use us. We give ourselves to you for your use, for your direction, for whatever it is you want to implement in our lives. Here we are, Lord. Thank you.